Uh, as, we've, uh, as we've mentioned this morning already, we, we're embarking on an exciting week in the life of our church family. A holiday Bible club is always an exciting week for us. And, and this year, uh, I think there's a few other reasons to be extra excited, if you like. Uh, firstly, there, there's this big marquee thing, which um, when you're ordering something and they tell you the size, you think, oh, yeah, that's probably fine. And then it arrives and you think, ah, right, didn't realize it was going to be quite so big, but we're delighted to have this wonderful space. Um, so there's this wonderful marquee, which is a reason for uh, excitement. Um, there's also the reality that 2020, we obviously weren't able to host Holiday Bible Club. And so we're back this year. That gives us a wonderful opportunity to reconnect with some local families. And so that's an exciting point for us. Uh, the Bay team are another excitement, a uh, source of excitement for us as they join with us to serve uh, these wonderful children and young people this week. Uh, and so there's lots of reasons to, to feel excited uh, and justifiably so. These are good and exciting things. Um, but as, as well as being exciting things, they're also potentially dangerous things for us as a church family. Uh, you see, it, it is good and right to celebrate these, these wonderful, exciting things. Absolutely, I'm not wanted to take away from that. But the danger that I mention is that these things could become a distraction from what we're actually here to do. The primary purpose that God has called us to embrace this week. And, and that is, as we've heard time and time again, gloriously this morning, to tell the good news of Jesus to children, young people, and their families. Uh, now, now that maybe sounds obvious, and I'm certainly not wanting to dampen excitement, but actually quite the opposite. You see, the, the joy of telling people the good news of Jesus is the most exciting things that the Christians can do. It, it's the most exciting news we have to share. It's the most urgent news, the most life-changing news, the most exciting news. This is what we're here to do this week. Uh, and this week, as we walk through... Uh, parts of the Exodus story, we're going to be um, we're going to be thinking about what it means to trust God. We've heard that already, and so the five things that we're going to be looking at each night: uh, God is with us, so trust God. God gives us what we need, so trust God. God gives us strength, so trust God. God saves us, so trust God. God guides us, so trust God. God is with us, gives us what we need, provides strength, saves, guides, so trust Him. This is our God, uh, and this is good news. This is our wonderful Savior who, who has made himself known to us and offers relationship with us. And so this morning I want us to consider why this is such good news. Why is it good news that we can trust this God? Why is it important for us to understand? And to help us with that, we're going to consider the, the shortest psalm in the Bible. Um, Jack did say to me at the start of the service, Andrew, uh, pick the shortest psalm this week, did you? Was it a busy week? Just needed a quick one. Um, that is not the case at all. I don't know whether you remember last year when we were working our way through the Psalms, Michael mentioned Psalm 117. And he mentioned it because he was dealing with Psalm 119. And he said that Psalm 117 was the first Psalm that he learned, the first chapter of the Bible that he learned because it's the shortest. It's two verses long. And now, now this Psalm has so much more benefit for us than just its brevity. Uh, it is going to show us and teach us so much about this wonderful God who we can know, we can trust, and who we're going to share with children and young people this week. Um, and see, the, the reason why it's important that we know who God is, is that very often when, when we're trying to trust, how much and how willing and how free we are to trust is generally based on the person that we're being asked to put our trust in. So we've heard lots about trust this year throughout the pandemic. Um, we've heard people who, who wholeheartedly trust the opinion of some. We've maybe heard someone question, well, how can you how can you trust those ones? We've heard a lot about trust. Trust is really important. I, I could tell you that this week it's okay. You can trust me. The weather's going to be cracking. We'll not even need a roof on this thing. It'll be brilliant. 
but, but that's not really any value. Your, your trust in me would be fairly misplaced because I, I'm not an expert in the weather. Uh, I'm not Baravest. Um, but equally, uh, I certainly don't control the weather, so I have no right for you to trust me. So when we come to trust, it's actually really a question of who we're trusting in. And as we call children and young people and families this week to trust God, let's enjoy this morning what Psalm 117 has to tell us about who that God is and why he is so worthy of our trust. And so let's, let's read Psalm 117 uh, together. Um, it, it'll appear on the screen. It's not very long. Um, but it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, chapter of God's word. Just 30 words in the NIV, 28 words in the ESV. Uh, but let's enjoy this wonderful psalm together. So Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. It's so short, I'm going to read it again. Praise the Lord. All you nations, extol him, all you peoples, for great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. This is a wonderful, memorable psalm. Maybe we could all take a leaf out of Michael's book and commit to learning this psalm this week. But this short psalm, it's bookended with praise. It starts with praise the Lord, it ends with praise the Lord, and in between are sandwiched reasons why we are to praise, why God is worthy of our praise and therefore worthy of our trust. Uh, and so we're going to look at two main things that this psalm teaches us. Jonathan's picked up on some of this already in our songs and in how he's led us so well. Uh, and so here we see, obviously, throughout Scripture, innumerable reasons why God is worthy of our praise. But as I said, here are just two. The first is that God's love is great. The second is God's faithfulness endures. And because of those two things, at least those two things, then all nations were told at the start of the psalm, all peoples, can praise him, can extol him. Indeed, all people can respond to him. And we're going to spend time thinking about those first two points, the love of God, which is so great, and his faithfulness that endures. And so let's think about God's love. God's love is great. And, and we see this so, much, so often throughout Scripture. Let me just run through a couple of New Testament examples of this. John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Motivated by his love. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. First John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And then our memory verse from two years ago, Holiday Bible Club, First John 4, 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. These are well-known verses in the New Testament. You might have seen those references and thought, yes, I probably would have chosen those ones too. But let's not get lost in the familiarity. Let's not lose the wonder of what we're reading there. God's mighty love, his incredible love, It's just a tiny sample of the New Testament teaching on God's love. And his love is indeed great, as Psalm 117 said. And maybe you notice in some of those references that we looked at there, maybe you notice some of the characteristics of God's love. I just want to highlight three. Firstly, God's love is unconditional. Uh, John 3, 16, for God so loved. God loved. 
And in fact, it's not just a past tense love that God did love. No, God continually loves. It is his very nature to love. We're told in First John 4 that God is love. So love isn't just something that God shows. It is who he is. It is his very nature, love. And so his love is, and the extent of his love is not dependent on our response to it. His wonderful love is not predicated on our on our loving response back or, or our obedient earning of his love. No, his love is unconditional. God is love. And his love is great. He purely and simply and, and, and wonderfully loves. Secondly, his love is purposeful. See, God's love is, is more than an emotion to be felt. It, it's an action to be experienced. God's love is not just an emotion to be felt, it's an action to be experienced. See, God's love accomplishes something. I wonder, did you see that in some of those references that we looked at? But God's love offers something to us. There's a purpose to his love. And the incredible thing about God's purposeful love is the action that it, that it then achieved. So we see from uh, some of these verses, John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave. You see, it was his love that motivated his giving. We see it again in Romans 5. God demonstrates his own love. He shows it. There's an action to come. And what is that? That he sent his one and only son, that Christ died. And in 1 John 4, 9, God showed his love that he sent. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his one and only son. You see, God's love is purposeful. It is active. Uh, and we see that most clearly in the sending of Jesus. But maybe, maybe you're wondering, or maybe someone even this week might ask, well, why is Jesus being sent to the world? Why is that a demonstration of love? Why, why is that necessary? Isn't that just a nice story that we tell at Christmas time? And no, of course it is that, but it is so much more than that. See, the, this, this wonderful good news of Jesus it is based on the reality that he came and what he came to do. See, the Bible shows that, that this great God that we're thinking of this morning is the God who created everything that there is in existence. Genesis 1 tells us that, that he created. And he created not because he was bored or because he was lonely. No, he created because he is love. And his creation was an outpouring of his love. And then into this creation, he, he creates humanity into this perfect, sinless world that he had made. But humanity rebelled against God. Uh, And as they, as we still do, we we think we know how to run life better than God designed it. And so we we turn from him and his ways. Uh, And in doing so, there's then a fracture in our relationship between the perfect creator and what was the perfect creation. Uh, And so this union that we had with God in the original, uh, in Genesis 1, in in the original wonderful creation is broken. It's what the Bible calls sin. And now humanity is, is stained with sin. It's, it's to our very core. You see, sin isn't just something that we do. We don't just do sinful things or say sinful things. Yes, we do those things, but at our very nature, we are sinful. So it's not the, the, the response to this is not just to change our behavior and change our words. It's actually to change our core. If we're to deal with the real root issue of sin, then we've got to be, that's got to be dealt with at our core. But, but as sinful beings, we can't fix that. that, that we, we don't have the power, the ability to remove the stain of sin from our very hearts. And so what can we do? Well, we 
can do nothing. But hang on a minute, I, 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 thought, I thought you said, Drew, that this was a good news story. Well, it is, because the story doesn't end with us locked in our sin. You see, on, the reality is on our own, in our own strength, our state before God is, is, is dreadful. It's hopeless, but that is not the whole story. As we've seen already, we were powerless, but God acted. Out of his love, he sent Jesus. And so Jesus leaves the glory of heaven, takes on vulnerable human flesh, lives among his creation, the creator walking among his creation. God in human form, perfect divinity, then living among sinful humanity. And so, yes, Jesus was human and therefore understands the trials and temptations that humans suffer from. But he was God in the flesh and therefore he lived his life without sin. And so his life was not just a demonstration of of how God intends us all to live that perfect sinless life in perfect union with him, our father. But it was also this demonstration of compassion and justice and truth and grace and, and that wonderful outpouring of the relationship with God, our father. But Jesus, of course, showed more more than just his life. He showed us so much through his death. See, he came in order to die. As I mentioned, we have sin that has fractured this relationship between us and God, and the consequences of that sin need to be dealt with. The, the, The consequences of it are eternal separation and destruction away from the presence of God. And so something needs to be done to deal with the presence of that sin, but we cannot do it on our own yet. Jesus came, the perfect God-man, and he died on the cross. As Jenny explained earlier, he died on the cross in our place so that God then placed on him the judgment that we deserve, the wrath that we deserve. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died in our place, taking the penalty of sin that was mine and yours to carry. But in our place, he came to do it. And so God punishes Jesus in my place and in yours. Now, maybe, maybe that doesn't seem fair to us. I mean, why is it that, that, that I should get to go free, that Jesus should be punished in my place? Well, well, the debt that I owed, the punishment of the sin in my life was, was against God. And so only God could decide how that would then be played out and how that would be rectified. And he decided in his love that he would send Jesus to die in our place. He decided that that's how he would do it. It's a remarkable display of love and grace and mercy. This is our God. And so the fracture in our relationship with God, the sin that separates us, the penalty of that sin has been dealt with by Jesus on the cross as he died. And so for us, what we must do in recognition of what Jesus has done is to recognize our need for a Savior, that on our own we can't deal with it. On our own we lie separated from God. But... God stepped in, sent Jesus so that he died in our place, taking the penalty and therefore offers forgiveness, offers relationship restored. So that then we can we can grow in our love for God as we continue to live the life that he's called us to. See, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's all made possible through this never-ending, all-encompassing, purposeful love of God. Now, the story doesn't end with the death of Christ, but we'll get there in a second. So we've seen that God's love is unconditional. God's love is personal. Sorry, God's love is purposeful. And finally, then it's personal. Now, I I wonder, did you notice that in Psalm 117? The psalmist writes, for great is his love 
toward us. Not only is God's love purposeful, but it is personal. It's a personal offer of love and relationship. And yes, God's offer of forgiveness and grace and love is available to the whole world, absolutely. There's no one who God is not able to reach and save. Uh, Yet it is an offer that must be received personally. Uh, And so you may have been brought up in a a household of faith. What a wonderful gift. Uh, You may have loads of friends who are Christians. You may come to church from time to time. You might even read your Bible every now and again. Those are all good and wonderful things. But none of those things, none of those activities on their own, none of those connections with other people who have faith actually make you right with God. It's a personal response to this glorious personal love of Jesus. And yes, of course, we can do that in community. That once we receive that wonderful message of salvation, we are welcomed into God's family. We are part of his church. Yes, of course, there's a corporate aspect to it. But we can't rely on other people's experience to save us. No, it's a personal response to the personal love of God. That God wants to save everyone. In Second Peter 3, 9, we read that God is not, not, he is not impatient, but he is wanting everyone to come to repentance. So yes, God loves the whole world. Yes, but he loves the whole world full of individuals. It's not a generic kind of love. It's a personal love for each and every one of us. And so maybe you're here this morning and, and you know that you need to, to respond to that personal invitation to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Please do that this morning. He loves you. And so he's waiting for you to come home to him. Uh, I'd love to talk to you about that after if that's helpful. Um, because once we receive this wonderful offer, offer of forgiveness and life in Christ, then he equips us by his spirit to, to rid ourselves of the old stuff, that old sin. And he fills us with his spirit to live a life that he would want us to uh, under his lordship and guidance, life in all its fullness. And, and it's that life that Jesus welcomes us into, which we can be sure of because of his resurrection. So yes, Jesus died. He took the penalty of our sin, but three days later he rose victorious from the grave, conquering sin and death. And therefore he welcomes us into that wonderful existence with him, that we live here on the earth, yes, but for a short time. And then we are with him in glory for the rest of our all eternity. And so hopefully you can see this is just a glimpse of the reality that God's love is great. God's love is great. It is unconditional. It is purposeful. It is personal. And so he is worthy of our praise. That praise that's commanded here in Psalm 117. And he is also so good to be trusted. Um, the second and very brief point that we're just going to look at is the reality that God's faithfulness endures. Uh, we've spoken on, about this a little bit already, but you can see throughout Scripture uh, that, that God is the God who keeps his promises. See, God's words matter. Whatever God says will happen, then happens. That, that's the power of his words and the truth of his words. God spoke and, and stars were formed. God speaks and, and dead people come to life. Uh, God speaks and life bursts forth. God speaks and things change. And what he says will happen then does happen. God's words are powerful because his faithfulness endures. So what he has said will happen, he will He will make happen. It will come to be. Uh, and some of the words that we see in Scripture are promises that God, God makes to his people. Uh, and we see them throughout the Bible, that, that God faithfully and consistently keeps those promises. Um, uh, and what I would love to do is, is uh, read a passage from First Peter. Just recently, as a church family, we've been studying through First Peter. And I want to read a section from chapter 1. 
And in this, in these verses, it's encompassed so many of these glorious promises that God has made to us. That if we know that his faithfulness endures, then we know that this is not just words on a page. This is the reality that we live in now and we will live in in the future. God has said these things, made these promises. His faithfulness endures so we can know them to be true. And now this, this is not just a, some kind of intellectual exercise where I'm going to read something and it'll appear on the screen. It's, it's not going to appear on the screen. If you've got your Bible and you want to read along, then wonderful. But if you don't, I would invite you just to close your eyes if you feel comfortable doing that. And I just want to read these words over us, knowing that these are not dry words. These are the very words of God that breathe life and that give hope and that provide assurance for our future. And so let's read from First Peter chapter 1. I'm just going to read verses 3 to 9. As I say, you can read along now. You can look it up later. Um, or you can just close your eyes and meditate on these wonderful words as they're read over you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith the salvation of your souls. For for those of us who have committed our lives to Jesus, we have asked for his forgiveness, seeking to to live our lives to glorify him, then these words are true for us. We, We have an inheritance that awaits. We will face trials, yes, absolutely, but we live life with an eternal perspective, knowing that that this life is not all there is, knowing that ultimately our king reigns. And so we, we press on. But we don't press on begrudgingly. We are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And we know this. We, we may not feel it, but we know it to be true because God has said it. And his faithfulness endures. So we've seen that God is the God who can be trusted. And God is the God who can be trusted because we know that his love is great and that his faithfulness endures. And so this week as we look at these five things, that God is with us, so trust him. God gives us what we need, so trust him. God gives us strength, so trust him. God saves us, so trust him. God guides us, so trust him. This message is true for the children who will attend here tomorrow night and the rest of the week. It's true for their families. It's true for each and every one of us wherever we'll be spending our weeks. See, God is a God who is trustworthy and that is good news. We know that his love is great. We know that his faithfulness endures and so we praise. And and so for some of us, we, we will be sharing this wonderful good news with children and young people this week. And I pray that as we do that, it won't just be a message that we share, but it'll be something that we experience. 
for those of you who are going to be spending a lot of time staring at a screen at work or uh, dealing with uh, family stuff or, or trying to manage things at home or whatever you're going to be spending this week, I pray that this will be helpful for you too, to know that God can be trusted. In the midst of wonderful, joyous times, yes. But in the midst of, of dry and barren times, yes. In the midst of difficult, heart-wrenching times, yes. God is the God who can be trusted because his love is great and his faithfulness endures. So let's pray and then we're going to sing together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that your love is great. We thank you that your faithfulness endures. Thank you, God, that through everything we experience, your character, your goodness, your love for us doesn't change. And so, God, I pray for this week as we as some of us get the, the opportunity to, to very uh, tangibly and practically share this wonderful news with children. Would you help us, Father? Help us to be faithful in how we deliver this wonderful good news message. Um, but God, I pray that, that as, we, as we share that message, that it will be our reality and our experience. And Father, that, that once again you would reignite our hearts. Those of us who have, who have struggled through uh, dear knows how long, uh, but struggled with a, a cold or dry heart. Father, would you, would you soften it, we pray. Father, with all the distractions that we have going on all around us, um, help us, Father, to know the wonderful joy of serving you and sharing your wonderful news with children and young people. And Lord, as we've said, for, for those who are spending our weeks away from this place, serving you in other places where you've placed us. And Lord, would you help us to faithfully live this out? Um, and God, I pray for uh, for anyone here, anyone listening, um, who, who doesn't know you as, as their Lord and Savior. Father, would you help them this morning to to see your wonderful offer of forgiveness, to see the uh, the, the the plight that they are in without you. But God, because our plight was so bad and your love was so great, you stepped in. And so, Father, would would you help uh, would you help us all to grasp a wonderful fresh realization of your wonderful salvation for us and as we as we turn our attention towards the lord's table and we recognize that that wonderful salvation came at great cost for you and so jesus we thank you for the cross and we want you to be glorified and honored as we share in this meal together and as we reflect and declare the wonderful good news that you have given us to share so thank you may you have your way father we pray amen